0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is believe.
1: Ich wart seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanze vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga podcast. I'm Manuel Feed, he's Stefan Biankowski. Stefan, how's it going?
0: I'm doing very, very well, mate. Um, well rested, ready for another week of football. Looking forward to Celtic versus Leipzig, which will be on tonight when people are listening. Most likely, so yeah. Very much looking forward to that, and another excellent weekend of German football. How are you?
1: Good. Yeah, just got back to Canada last night. It um, was nice. direct flight, Vancouver, Munich, no problem. Nine hours, straight shot. Um, missed Germany already, but I, I, it looks like I'm going to be back pretty soon. And um, Yeah, I'm looking forward to your coverage of the, the Leipzig game. I, I had the pleasure to be there last week. And um, it, was, it was a fascinating match to watch, and I'm really curious to. I'm kind of jealous because um, Celtic Park is one of the stadiums on my list. Um, mm. and, um, I think you you're going to witness quite a great atmosphere, which you probably know. I mean, you you, were, you lived in Glasgow for so long. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've I've
0: been to a few Champions League nights at Celtic Park, and I can honestly say they're pretty much unrivaled. Mm. Um, I got to say, actually, like. A, maybe not the best time to say this, but I remember being at a Der Klassiker between Dortmund and Bayern at the Westfalenstadion, and I was actually a little bit disappointed in the atmosphere back then, just because I've been to Old Firm matches, and I've never been to Ibrox for a Champions League match. I was hoping to go this week, but it didn't come through. Um, But yeah, Celtic Park was quite special, so if anyone's wondering, if anyone's looking to do a bit of football tourism, I could only couldn't recommend uh, either Glasgow Club more to be honest.
1: I, you know, Dortmund is great. It really is. And we're going to talk about it a little bit towards the end of the show, because obviously we're going to cover the Classica. But for the Classica, you have to remember, this is a manufactured rivalry. Exactly. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so it was fantastic for the Riviera Derby. Absolutely incredible. When it comes to normal Champions League nights in German football, and I sound like a broken record, it's Frankfurt for me. hmm yeah,
0: well, I must say I was at the Allianz Arena at the end of last season for their for the other Der Klassiker, and I was really impressed with the stadium there as well, the, yeah. the home crowd there. So they, you you wouldn't think as much because Bayern are obviously perceived as a super
1: club, but their home fans know exactly how to sing and make a racket. Yeah, the Südkurve is um, is getting often wrongly a bad reputation, I think. And the new, the, the way that I know that I've been back to the Allianz Arena and they lit it out differently, they have done some upgrades, looks fabulous. Like, mm. there's a picture that I shared on social, right, where it's just completely lit up inside red mm. and it looks dooming almost. Mm.
0: And it's obviously designed really well because, like, the yeah. sounds just
1: echo off the roof, which curves in and it's, it's tremendous. Really is a tremendous yeah. stadium. It's gorgeous. And it's going to get, I mean, this is kind of off topic, but it's going to have the NFL soon, right? And there's rumors that it might actually get a permanent permanent NFL team. Which would be just giving more money to Bayern. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, Before, I mean, another eight home games for so the Munich Bavarians and another game called football. But that's completely off topic. We'll, we'll dive into that maybe when it comes. Um, but we'll have lots to discuss and we should probably do it after this break. This episode of the Gegenpressing podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Football is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your football betting needs this season. You'll find the latest odds, matchup info, player news, and game trends, and as your continued source for all sports wagering info, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, live scores, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events like MLB, MMA, tennis, boxing, and even golf. Head to betonline.ag, betonline.ag to join and receive your 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code Believe B L E A V B L E A V to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. So yeah, Stefan, um, off the top, we need to talk about a coaching change happened just before we record this episode on Monday, Monday afternoon, German time, UK time, Monday morning, uh, Thanksgiving morning in Canada. Um, Pellegrino Matarazzo released um, off his duties in Stuttgart, and this is probably one of those coaching changes where the club was really heavily reluctant to do it and when you mm-hmm. really read the statements that were released by the club and they actually let um they gave her a statement to Pellegrino Matarazzo too in the press release which is always an indication that you know if the coach is involved still in the press release that um this is, was something that the club really didn't want to do um mm-hmm. reluctantly released head coach Pellegrino Matarazzo after still being winless in the 2022-23 season, um, five points after nine games. I think this is one of those things where everyone is very happy with the playing style. Everyone is really happy with the culture that the head coach has brought to the club. But results just mean that it was untenable to continue. And Mm -hmm. um it's it's kind of really similar to the and we're gonna talk about Alonso in a bit too, but it's kinda of similar to the Siona story, isn't it? That they felt like they had the right head coach, but because results weren't coming, sometimes you just have to do it.
0: Yeah, it was a it was it seemed like a begrudging decision to make and it you know, with Siona at Leverkusen, you know, everyone loved him, everyone thought he was a very good coach, but it got to a point where they said There's just no real way to turn this around anymore and Mm -hmm. you're throwing good money after bad after a while and I guess this is the same as Stuttgart. I feel like Matarazzo's probably a victim of circumstance more than anything else. Mm -hmm. I I dare say the club itself maybe thinks that as well just because the transfer window was pretty uneventful except for the fact that they sold Mangala to Nottingham Forest, they've sold Kaladzic to Wolves and you know, it's easy to kind of forget about Kladzic because he's obviously been injured since he moved, made the move to the Wolves. Um, but we were saying at the time, I know I know, I certainly was, that, you know, I thought that, that was almost like a death sentence for Stuttgart, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So important to them, even though he has been injured a lot the last couple of seasons. But when he's played, he's been so key to everything they've done well. And he obviously gets the best out of their other key players like Salas and, you know, the fullbacks and the central midfielders and things like that. So after that transfer window, it seemed to me like Stuttgart were almost like a dead man walking, if you want to use that bizarre expression. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know they've been linked with a few interesting names. Honez is an interesting one to be linked with because I thought he actually did a very good job last season. But yeah. um, looking, at that, looking at that squad, I do kind of wonder, you know... <laughs> what what can be expected of it there's some decent players in there don't get me wrong you know but considering the kind of strength in the Bundesliga this season um and the fact that even Bochum seems to be still putting in a fight um I really would be concerned for Stuttgart and I wouldn't really envy the next guy who has to come in there
1: yeah I think the the, the one thing that people always have to remember about the Bundesliga is it's just 18 teams right the, um, the likelihood of a big side going down is far greater than it is in any of the other um, top four leagues in Europe, um, mm. which you know, does mean that the margin for error for a side like Stuttgart, that could easily in a good year finish in the top seven, but in a bad year could get relegated is much smaller. Mm. And um, I can, with that in mind understand why they made this decision and, um, It is also interesting to know too because Stuttgart is one of those teams that every year had a new manager. Materazzo now lasted for a hundred games a thousand days um, Mm. which is long for Stuttgart um, in terms of Stuttgart and I guess whoever comes in next um, Adi Hütter is another name right? who I I think is an excellent coach. Uh, Maybe we're also going to get surprised. I mean Stuttgart did surprise us by hiring Pellegrino Matarazzo in the first place. And maybe they're going to think completely outside of the box and do completely something different. Hmm. Um, Sami Kudira, the former um, World Cup winning central midfielder, is also um, part of the decision-making process there. Uh, it would be interesting to see if he has so- any sort of input into what's going to come next. Sven Mislintat, of course, the former Dortmund and Arsenal. Um, what was it? Head scout, right? Hmm. He's now a sporting director there, and um, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. I think there is some really good pieces in this side. Thiago Thomas is one, right, that have we have that we have highlighted, which just hasn't been going this year. Um, Gurasi got sent off against Union Berlin, and um, I so I think there is some good pieces there. It's just someone needs to just come in and just kind of teach them how to score goals again.
0: Hmm. Yeah, So a so... And we'll have to kind of wait and see if they can do that. I think it's also really interesting in the timing of those decisions because yeah. you kind of look at the Bundesliga table, you can see a lot of the teams that Stuttgart, Stuttgart would have been hoping to be up a, ahead of yeah. Yeah. are actually now kind of beginning to pull away from them. You know, Augsburg have put a decent run of form. Wolfsburg yeah. look like they may have turned things around under Nico Kovac. Her- Hertha Berlin, yeah. you know, haven't lost in the last five games. So these other teams who... You know, if they were having a similarly tough go of it, you know Stuttgart might have thought we might have a bit more time here. But they maybe they've now maybe thought if we don't act now, we're going to end up finding ourselves considerably behind the, the teams that we would hope would cushion us between now and relegation.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's very important to point out. It's it's, it's as you said, it's a victim of circumstances, right? Um, and. I think it's kind of important, too, what's going to happen next to Pellegrino Matarazzo. We talked about it off air um, because you were asking me whether he's going to be maybe in line for the U.S. man's national team job with whatever happens at the World Cup. And I think it's important to point out here that he's very much integrated into German society. I don't know the exact amount of years he's been living there, but it's been probably been a couple of decades Hmm. and um, he's married to a German. His family's uh, kids are German. He speaks only German at home. I did a roundtable with him last year, a media roundtable, and his English was kind of rudimentary. Obviously, he still speaks it because he speaks of a family at home, but there's also a lot of Italian spoken, right, because his um, background is Italian-American. And um, he... He has said in the past he would only take a job if he could stay in the Greater New York area. I have to go back to the United States, um, yeah. which limits is, where he could go. Do you
0: know what I've just thought of? Is he like the opposite Jurgen Klinsmann?
1: Yeah, in a sense. Actually, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's an American.
0: Yeah. He's an American who never wants to leave Germany. Where Jurgen yeah. Klinsmann is a German who never wants to leave America.
1: Well, this is the question, right? If he if is offered the U.S. men's national team job after the World Cup. Um, would they be happy with him living in Germany? I would Mm. think not. Um, I mean, it is easy to get from Germany to New York. There's many direct flights. But um, I think, too, the the World Cup break um, is maybe going to lead to some coaching decisions and changes in the Bundesliga. And I would say that he's probably pretty high up on the list of many other Bundesliga teams. Mm. Or maybe even a second division team looking to get a jump on promotion, but maybe struggling, right? Mm. Um, yeah, because he absolutely. has a history of getting promoted.
0: Yeah. Right? No, absolutely. I think I think that's a very good point. He did a very good job of Stuttgart up until the season. And I think those within the game and those within the industry will appreciate that that wasn't his fault. So I'd be very surprised if he struggled to get
1: another job after this. Yeah. He's still very much in, in that mix. So, We'll see. Um, I think that is probably on balance that everything we can say about Stuttgart, I guess we'll, we'll have to kind of keep an eye on who's who's next. Um, as I said, Adi Hütter, um, Sebastian Höness. those are two names linked. Um, Sebastian Hoeneß's father, Dieter Hoeneß, used to be the manager, which is of course now called sporting director in German football um, at Stuttgart for a long time. So yeah. still some links there as well. Um, will be an interesting one to keep an eye on mm. let's talk about a club that's already made a coaching decision and um this was your game of the week actually right mm. uh, by a Leverkusen rebound win um four nil against uh Schalke mm-hmm. um I watched this game and I was very impressed. And I was very keen on watching what Alonso would decide in terms of how he how he fielded his team. He went for a 3-4-3. Hmm. Um, and he was very much involved in the game. Spent a lot of time talking to the players during the match. Lots of interaction. Um, very active on the sideline. Hmm. And yeah, I was also very impressed by his pretty good ability still to speak German. He gave a lot of interviews. Of course, every once in a while he had to switch into English and sometimes use Spanish terms, but he's very much trying to speak German um, with the press. Hmm. I think, overall, a very good reaction by Leverkusen under a new head coach, Javi Alonso.
0: Yeah, it was. It was I mean, the Blue Schalke, away. Um, another match in which Schalke looked very ordinary, and I'm now beginning to kind of fear for them. That's the third loss in the bounce now. Mm-hmm. Um, after that defeat to Augsburg last weekend, um, but it, it struck me just how quickly the team and the players seemed to get on board with what he was saying. Um, yeah. you know, the thing that really struck me actually, and it was in the first half when Leverkusen basically played a really audacious kind of. Um, What's the word like set piece from their goal kick where Heredeki kind of lobbed the ball over uh, a Schalke forward to Frimpong, who was on the sideline, who passed it right down the line to Diaby, hmm. um, and then you know Diaby managed to cut inside. and I think he managed to square it to Patrick Schick, who got shot away, and that was a move straight from kickoff, and it completely took Schalke by surprise and. It might not sound very impressive like just listening, but if anyone watched it, I think they might and they remember, they'll know what I mean. It was yeah. it, it was like a set piece routine. Yeah. It's almost like something from like an NFL playbook, to be honest with you. Um with Herodeki he as almost like the quarterback. But that surprised me in the the level of detail which he's maybe already managed to get across. The thing that really struck me was that he really paid a lot of attention to width in this team, which obviously, you know, Leverkusen having spades. I don't think it was a surprise that obviously Backer was back at left-back, because he offers that kind of width as well. Hudson Odoi did a really good job kind of on the left, while you had Frim Pong and Diaby, who were just constant torment on the right-hand side. Um, and, you know, obviously it's that kind of um, opening goal from Diaby, just yeah, an absolute great. screamer. And then a few minutes later, Fringpong knocks in a similar, a similarly impressive goal, and you're like, "Well, there we go. There was nothing mm. to worry about." And it's it, these things happen in football all the time, and I always find I always find myself chuckling away, thinking of poor Gerardo Siona sitting in his living room watching this game with his hands in his ears and hands in the air, saying, "Where the hell was all this a couple of weeks ago?" You know, these guys were just playing with so much freedom, no pressure, and. It looked like they were all willing to run through walls for Xabi Alonso, so so great start for him, Uh, but, you know, Schalke couldn't have possibly been a... He couldn't have found a better kind of start uh, than Schalke at home, and I think Mm. obviously we'll have to kind of see how they do in the Champions League this week against Porto, if I'm not mistaken, Um, and then, of course, they've got Frankfurt away after that, which would be very difficult, so it's one to keep an eye on, but very exciting start.
1: Yeah, I'm just really curious to see whether this like 3 for 3 is now the way going forward. And another thing that I noticed is that Paulinho was back in the squad. Someone who Mm. who was more or less on the verge of being sold and always had the talent, right? And a coaching change is always an opportunity for someone who has been on the fringe to come back in and um, reassert themselves. And uh, Paulinho comes in and scores off Mm. the bench. And I always thought Paulini was a really highly talented player. maybe Alonso will be able to sort of re well, give value to something that was frozen, a frozen asset, right? And um, Or distressed asset, if you want to use a banking term here, <laughs> <laughs> um, which, you know, that can be underestimated as well. And sometimes a coaching change like that is important. I think, too, that what I also really was impressed with, Diaby was hugely impressive, right? He picks up a goal and two assists. Frim Pong, I thought, was very good as well. And karl Hudson odoi he spent a ton of time talking to him as well. And if you're a Chelsea fan and you're sort of keeping an eye on um, how he's doing there, and there has been rumors about him possibly being recalled, right, because of uh, Graham mm. Potter maybe having a different view of um, C.H.O. than... That Tuchel did previously, but if you're a Chelsea fan, you you're probably quite pleased by the way, by the fact that Javi Alonso is now there, and um, yeah, it's it's all really positive. And the other thing, this is this is something that we already touched on last week, right? It's also a really positive story for the league. I think the the media attention this has been getting, um, rightfully so, because of who Javi Alonso is as a person, um, mm. is is really really great for the league and also this is, was an interesting one Karl-Heinz Rummenigge uh, the Bayern CEO uh, former Bayern CEO speaking out about uh, really being um, impressed by Javi start at Leverkusen but also um, about his partner in the past and there's, of course now already conversation that this job if he does well there could lead to a Bayern job in the future uh, which is probably something that Julian Nagelsmann doesn't want to hear but Yeah, I think all around, Javi Alonso coming to the league and being there, that's something that's just very, very good for the Bundesliga. Mm
0: -hmm. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. It seems like that's almost a shoe-in, which I doubt Julian Nagelsmann will appreciate much. First, he has to deal with Thomas Tuchel losing his job. Now he has potentially Javi Alonso breathing down his neck. So and we just know how much Bayern Bayern love to bring in their own uh, ex-players to kind of fill these roles when they can. Yeah. which is something I think Julian Nagelsmann's maybe struggling with, to be honest. But we can talk about in the next section possibly. But yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. really exciting. It's really interesting. I'm hoping we can get a chance to kind of speak to him at some point mm-hmm. because he's obviously got so much he probably wants to speak about and what he wants to bring to the league. And it'd be very fascinating to see how how that works out.
1: Yeah, I think it's the most interesting coaching appointment in a long time. And I might exaggerate here, but it could be, the, in my opinion, it's the most exciting coaching appointment since Pep Guardiola came to the Bundesliga in terms of what it brings internationally to the club, right? Hmm. Of course, Julian Nagelsmann to Leipzig was very exciting and then Julian Nagelsmann to Bayern, but this is, he's a known quantity for Bundesliga followers, right? Um, hmm. Javier Alonso is not, and he brings this huge name. And when you look at the coaches that he worked under that have influenced this game as well, There's some big names in there. Pep Guardiola, right, is one of them. And um, yeah, I think this is just... It's going to be really fascinating, really, really interesting, and um, hopefully something that will provide us with content for a long time, Stefan. Yeah, looking forward to seeing how it works out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Let's talk about Julian Nagelsmann. Bayern Munich um, throw away a 2-0 lead against Borussia Dortmund. Now... We are used to teams throwing away leads at the Classica. Usually it's the team in black and yellow. (laughs) 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 Um, This feels... When you know that we had a good 48 hours to digest this and that I've now watched it back because I I was out on Saturday night with some friends because it was my last night in in Munich um, and so I only kept one eye on the game. So I had a chance to back watch it, watch the highlights digest all the post-game commentary the video of oliver Kahn collapsing on the on the the vip box at the signal iduna park this feels like a Bayern munich defeat
0: oh yeah without a doubt and you know it just kind of maybe angling it towards julian Nagelsmann for a moment um I think it was really interesting the way that he approached this result and the way that Bayern have kind of approached this result. And I was actually on Sony India, the Indian TV channel today, or today being Monday, they were asking me about this and Nagelsmann's comments after the game. And I basically said, well, you know, he's, he was making excuses for his team. He was making excuses for the result. He was saying, well, you know, maybe Dortmund could have the player sent off and it's not the end of the world. We'll be fine. You know, it's not that big a deal. And I just think that contrasted so much, not only with the way that Bayern instantly reacted in terms of Oliver Kahn being the most obvious example, yeah. but just in general, the kind of culture of Bayern Munich where, you know, a 2-2 a draw in that manner, as you said, is considered a defeat for Bayern Munich. I know it's at the Stadion. I know... You know, it's it's an away game uh, at Dortmund. Dortmund are supposed to be their main challengers, but the the capitulation of that result um, just will not go down well at Bayern at all. And it 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 really makes me think that there's there's still a huge gap between the way that Julian Nagelsmann goes about his day to day business at Bayern and the expectations that the club have Mm. for the manager. They want him to be because. I think Heiner, the president, gave a interview. I honestly can't remember if it was before or after this game. I think it was in Kicker. And, you know, it was very complimentary about Nagelsmann. And he said, we obviously believe in him. That's why we gave him this five-year contract. But he also made quite a telling comment where he basically said, well, you know, he's used to coaching players at Hoffenheim and he's used to coaching players at Leipzig. And, you know, coaching players at Bayern Munich is very different. And that stood out to me because the way that Nagelsmann behaved after that game and the way he managed to kind of just kind of laugh, not laugh off, but the way that he was able to accept that 2-2 draw looked like Julian Nagelsmann, the RB Leipzig head coach, rather than Julian Nagelsmann, the Bayern Munich head coach. And it it, it just makes, it. there's just these constant reminders that Maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm just looking into this too much or maybe I'm just a typical cynical journalist and I, I'm, I'm just looking for narratives and stories and if I am then fair enough, Bayern fans can feel free to ignore it but I do just kind of feel like sometimes that Nagelsmann does kind of leave not a lot to be desired but he, he doesn't, either he doesn't feel comfortable being that kind of head coach or um, he's not capable of being that type of head coach because when i think of a Bayern munich head coach the person that pops into my head is job Heinkes. you know mm. this kind of stoic elder statesman type of head coach or like a louis van hal perhaps or something like that and what my head's fed yes exactly um and i know they've had the head coaches since then that kind of have broke the mold in that regard obviously pep guardiola was very young Nico kovac was very young um, you know you could maybe argue that Anzi flick wasn't exactly an old man still isn't an old man by any means so they have kind of have kind of moved with the times in that regard but i still kind of feel like all of those guys except kovac who obviously um didn't work out for him these guys all came with the pedigree and the, the experience to say you know they could, they could they could they could they could kind of put their put their hand down on the table and say look this is this these are my credentials I know what I'm doing here and I feel like Nagelsman doesn't have that and it's almost like he's trying to compensate for a lack of credentials in that regard by being a little different being a little aloof and not yeah. not really willingly playing his part as the traditional Bayern Munich
1: head coach and I don't think he ever will mm. I think that's just not in his personality um I talked to some people in and around the club and other people who cover the club full-time, the beat writers, right, as you call them in in stateside or North America. People will basically just cover one team, right? And um, there was definitely a sense that the way they feel about Nagelsmann, and obviously journalists have their grudges, right? It's just, especially those that work with the club day in and day out. Mm. But there was definitely a sense that they feel um, that Nagelsmann is a difficult person to work with. Um, and that this sense of them having a difficult time of working with him at time also goes um it's not just between them and the 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 coaching staff but also between the coaching staff and those people further up the hierarchy Hmm. there is also a sense though i think that the people at the hierarchy kind of are okay with it for now um because they 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 considered they, they knew that nugglesman was a project i think that in some ways they they uh had this anticipation that there would be setbacks and failures and Last year went really well for them, right? And this year, it's it's not going quite so well, which I think some people would also recognize is due to the club having lost several key players. Um, again, this year with Lewandowski, another one. So that that leads me to the next question. Really, like, yes, Nagelsmann is very difficult, and yes, he's navigating um, probably the club's first real transitional period. Uh, real transitional period I mean they they sort of had a transition before but it's now getting to a point where there's so many assets that have left the club Hmm. and being replaced by younger assets that it's this is maybe the point now where it's really becoming the one golden generation trying to hand it over to another and that's always very tricky right this is when it really becomes very difficult and where I'm getting in with with that is that maybe the club isn't any better than third place in the Bundesliga at the moment. While it's like enough in the Champions League because like, yeah, they're playing Pilsen isn't exactly the opponent that's going to hurt them. Hmm. And Barcelona are still in transition and Inter Milan have their own problems. So maybe, you know, they're getting the results there because they're playing other teams that are facing the same kind of obstacles hmm. and also playing a style that, that favors them. Um, but maybe in the Bundesliga, maybe... In the Bundesliga, they are just at this sort of position. And they may be just a bit fortunate that Dortmund didn't have quite a start either, right? Mm. But And I know it's still early. We're match day nine. Um, I have to remember Chris Williams always said you shouldn't start reading the table until match day 10. But the trend isn't exactly different. And this seems like a year where we could finally see it. Someone else could win this league. Yeah,
0: well, if we do wait till match day ten, it might not be any help. Might not be any better for Bayern because they're yeah. playing Freiburg next, so who could cause right. further anguish? And that's, it's a very interesting point because if this continues, we're basically going to have to come to we're going to have one issue with two separate conclusions or two different ways of looking at it. I think the biggest issue for Bayern right now is that key players just aren't performing well. Um, yeah. they were dreadful. Uh, against Dortmund I I really thought they were really dreadful and I spent I think I was texting you maybe during the match or someone about saying that you know Bayern are really this is when they were obviously leading before the comeback and I was saying they're really going to get away with this because they have been terrible and you could basically go through that entire team Gnabry was terrible Leroy Sané shot aside. I thought was terrible and actually notably at fault for just not doing any tracking back in the final third of the game um, Sabitzer doing his best to get sent off Goretzka, okay, he thought Goretzka was actually okay, Musiala I thought played well, Mane mm-hmm. terrible again, Davies obviously injured, Uh on De Ligt, you know, struggle fine, nothing great and I thought Manuel Neuer was kind of pretty average as well and you know, <laughs> and then Kingsley Colman comes on gets himself sent off <laughs> Stanisic comes on, gets pulled apart by Adeyemi Schupper-Moting brought on, useless as well. Yosha Kimmich, okay, one of the few bright lights. And I actually thought if, if Bayern had gone on and won that game, I would have pegged it on Kimmich coming on at half time. to be honest with you. But mm. there's just too many players in this team that are not performing well. And, and
1: haven't for a while.
0: Yeah, exactly. So if Bayern still find themselves, say we get to the winter break for the World Cup and there's now, and at that point, there's a huge um, you know, break and Bayern are still kind of lingering. um around this area, maybe they have moved into first place, but they're only one or two points ahead or they're still behind Union Berlin or on par with Dortmund, that board are probably going to have to sit down and say either these players simply aren't good enough or Julian Nagelsmann is not doing his job well enough. And even though I'm tempted to suggest and probably agree with you to a large extent that a lot of these players aren't good enough because you know you could say what you want about you know, anyone can go online, anyone can go on YouTube and Google Serge Canabri goals or Leroy Sandy goals and these guys will look like world beaters, but they're also notoriously inconsistent players. Yeah. Um, Sadio Mane has really struggled to kind of fit into this team, so there's no guarantee that he'll be able to do well. So you could argue I think you could feasibly argue that Nagosman has a tough task to deal with here, but I do wonder if Bar Munich might sit down and be like, Well, there's Thomas Tuchel sitting right there. So, you know, we could, if, if they think what's easier, what's the easier thing for us to do here? Is it easier for us to replace the head coach or is it easier for us to replace this, the entire front line? And I, I, like most teams, I think they'll probably just opt to pay off Nagosman and bring in Thomas Tuco if that's where we still are
1: in a month or two's time. Yeah, that's a 25 million euro investment sunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um... I don't know. I, I can't... I think... I think that Nagelsmann would survive even missing on the title once. Hmm. Yeah. I think the Champions League's a key one, isn't it? Yeah. This this, think, this, all,
0: this all depends on how they do in the Champions League.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I mean, they are obviously, they're going to get easily qualified from this group. Um, they could qualify as early as this week. Mm. And I guess they will, <laughs> um, because Inter and Barcelona haven't exactly looked fantastic either. And um, you know, I, th- I win against I think mathematically a win against Victoria Pilsen will be enough. Um, mm. So that should do that. And then he has until um, the spring, right, when the Champions League resumes. And mm. um, they have looked great there. They look like a completely different side in Europe. Um, that's I think something as well to point out yes they had their periods against Barcelona and Inter Milan where, where they had their weaknesses but ultimately they managed to navigate them um, which is something you can't say about the Bundesliga performances um, in the Bundesliga they had they have their moments of weaknesses but they get punished um, which is I think it's, it's quite a fascinating storyline as well and th- this was a case against Dortmund right where essentially for 20 minutes they they had the same sort of performances or periods that they had in the Champions League previously. And Dortmund used used that time um, to great effect. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if Modeste puts away that one chance early on against Neuer, they might even lose this game. Yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, of course. And, like, I actually looked at the XG during the match. And it was actually both teams had very minimal XG, actually, in this regard. So it's not mm-hmm. as if Bayern really thumped them. Yeah. Um, it's 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 really tricky it's really tri- I'm not I'm not by no means am I advocating that Barnes should be sacking Nagelsman Nagelsmann I think yeah. I think he will probably benefit from the fact that the last 16 round isn't until February um you know if we if they had condensed the champions league to the point where a couple of the knockout games would have been before the world cup then I think he may have been in trouble because he could have come up against a manchester city or you know whatever mm-hmm. else but um Yeah, for now, I I I just think we just keep waiting for something to click for this Bayern team, um, and for them to really kind of push on and show what they're capable of, and it just isn't happening. And it's uh, and all along the way, you're having people constantly talk about why whether they should be signing number nine, and that's just guess that's just the way it is at Bayern Munich. If you're not winning every game, you're you're basically you go from top to bottom very quickly
1: you really worried if you're Tottenham Hotspur at this moment. <laughs> <laughs> this club is coming after your number nine. Um, and they're coming after him hard. Um, I wouldn't even be surprised if they accelerate the process during the World Cup. Hmm. You know, well, that's a traditionally a period when teams do do this kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, well, to kind of flip it back to, back towards Dortmund, if Makuku keeps doing what he's doing, they might be signing him in January.
1: He's been good. Yeah. Hmm. Um, you know, he, and I, I, we need to point this out, we've been critical of Monkuku at the beginning of the season, mm-hmm. but he's really turned it on. And yep. He's really looking like the talented number nine, uh, mega talented number nine that many people reckoned he would become. Um, I guess he's still so young. He's only 17, right? Hmm. Um, has he turned 18 yet? Uh, I don't think so. I can tell yeah. you right now. I've been told that... he He turns 18 in November November. okay so I've been told watch his 18th birthday when it comes to a contract renewal at Dortmund (laughs) yeah I'm not surprised
0: he's he has he has been great he was I thought he was outstanding in the Sevilla game um and you're absolutely right we we were kind of critical I was we were we were concerned about whether he had the physique to kind of play as a true number nine Mm-hmm. Um, in the way that Sebastian Haller was obviously signed to do, and Anthony Modeste was then signed to do, um, but he's had a decent run of games, and he's he's been outstanding. I thought he was a bit quiet moments in this Bayern game, but as soon as Modeste came on, as soon as he had someone to play off of, he was excellent, yeah. and that and that kind of that movement for that goal with alongside Modeste was just exceptional. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and, you know, as, as I was saying on Twitter, if he keeps going like this, then, you know, there's no reason why he shouldn't be going to the World Cup with Germany, because they, they have hardly any number nines, and he is as true as a number nine as you're going to find.
1: Uh, he scores a goal every 88 minutes at the moment. Yeah. That's might, what you do want, do, right do, right you know, do you know who he reminds
0: me a little of? He reminds me of, like, a young Michael Owen. Uh, in the sense that he's quite a small figure, but he's got that pace and he likes to play off players and he just he just bounces off defenders and he's got that incredible finishing. Uh, mm. I mean, that goal he scored against Bayern was not an easy finish from that kind of
1: angle that he hit, he hit it from. He's good um, in the air too, despite only being just under six feet. Uh, or One meter 79, if you prefer centimeters. He's hmm. quite good in the air, actually. He scored a beautiful header against Schalke, right? hmm
0: yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, he's five eight. So he's a wee bit he's a bit shorter than six foot, but yeah, because he's, he's quite a small player, but no. It's mm-hmm. it's it, and he's and he couldn't have come on at a better time for Dortmund because they were really struggling to modest. Don't wanna really hammer that point home too hard because he obviously got his goal against Dortmund but or sorry against Bayern but that miss that he put in oh just beforehand, <laughs> you know, it was <laughs> as if it was written in the stars and you were just kinda thinking, gosh, this is just not gonna work out for him at all. At Dortmund uh, but you know maybe that goal will kind of spur him on and then Dortmund suddenly have two strikers in form who are
1: raring to go they feel like the winners of this game um, mm-hmm. in many regards and this is a good transition to actually talk about the positive side of the story which is Borussia Dortmund and uh, I thought that that equalizer it wasn't that was an extremely difficult goal to score. First, Adi puts it in the box, right? Right where Schlotterbeck is. And Schlotterbeck taking the time to stop the ball, taking a step himself behind the the goal line. And then that cross, pinpoint cross over the defense to where Modesto was at the far post. That was an extremely difficult play. And it underlines what you said last week, that Schlotterbeck is an excellent footballer who still needs to learn how to become a defender. Mm. Um Because he is an incredible good footballer, his passing is uh, insanely good. But I think that as as much pressure as Dortmund were under, and you know, this is often goals then come from hail mary plays. But that was actually a very well constructed goal overall. Mm. And I think that is actually something that you don't see in situations like that very often. Um, Of course, Bayern Stanisic doesn't look very very good in that in that defensive play either. Um annoying. He's, he's out of position to be fair to the kids. Yeah. Yeah, he's out of position, right? Um, but I mean, overall, for Dortmund to get a result like that, the reaction of the goal, the the fact that they feel now that, and this is I think the big takeaway from this game is that even though it was a late comeback, it does feel like they're on par with Bayern. Hmm. Yeah. And, and- yeah, absolutely. And I actually thought for large chunks of the game, Dortmund
0: looked. Like, I thought they looked at the better team in the first half. Um, mm. Obviously, you know the Gretzka goal kind of comes from nowhere, and then there's a kind of double whammy in the second half when Sani hits a shot that Myers really should be saving. And obviously, if Cobell's in there, then he probably does make that save. But yeah. um, they, it, it, it's, it's, it's really interesting to see what's happening Dorman right now because kind of touched about this in my newsletter this week that. The underlying stats haven't really changed for Dortmund just yet, but Terzic is obviously like he feels like there's a degree of momentum in the team. He was, and to kind of contrast this with the way that we were talking about Nagelsmann's comments after the game, Terzic was very much happy to kind of gloat about the the fact that the players have bought into his system and the fact that hey. Mm-hmm. You know, we might concede a few goals here and there, but at least everyone's running 100 miles an hour and we're scoring goals and we're having fun, you know. Hmm. Very different from Nagelsmann's kind of demeanour after the match. So he thinks, certainly thinks, that things are beginning to, you know, fall into place for him. And it'll be interesting to see if Dortmund can kind of make the most of this, because it'd be very typical of Dortmund to maybe go on and lose this game, or to win this game, sorry, uh, or well they didn't win this game but they picked up a draw but then they've got uni on berlin next it week. feels like a win <laughs> yeah but then they've got uni on berlin next weekend so we'll have to kind of wait and see how they, if they can kind of keep this run of form going or you know if it's just going to be more the same as we have seen on the terzic so far this season where it's kind of stop start stop start stop start um, and yeah. so yeah yeah, we'll have to see how it plays out
1: that next match day by the way obviously we're going to preview it in, in great detail but that Sunday Mm. is insane. (laughs) (laughs) Dortmund is away at Union Berlin and Bayern Munich is at home against Freiburg. That doesn't sound like a lot when you take it into the context of ahead of the season, but that's first against third Mm. and uh, second against fourth in this league. Which, As they would say in the
0: Premier League, a super Sunday
1: it's a super sunday it's a, it really is and i think it's not false advertisement to call it that mm. and i think for both of those teams it's going to be really interesting to see what lessons they're going to take away from the match on sunday and how they're going to translate them to the game uh sorry on the game on saturday to translate them to the matches on sunday because both on new berlin and freiburg will... Who I'm going to write my newsletter on based on uh, my visit to the club and the city on Friday, and, uh, Thursday, and Friday last week. Both those teams are very good, and mm. both those teams could feasibly win their the games and <laughs> increase the gap for uh, the top two to Dortmund and Bayern, or Bayern and Dortmund. And we have to remember this neither one of those teams are first and, or second. Um, it's Union Berlin and Freiburg and Union Berlin at this point are four points clear of Bayern Munich Hmm.
0: Can you imagine the scenes of uh, Dortmund and Bayern both lost last weekend Yeah It'd be be real It'd be really quite something
1: And it could, I mean this Union Berlin story um, is now lasting nine match days At one point do we say there is something here
0: Hmm. Yeah, and uh, on top of that, it's quite interesting that Freiburg are just kind of flying under the radar because they're doing just as well as Union Berlin, but they're not top of the table. So everyone focuses on Union Berlin, and this is exactly where Christian Strike would prefer it (laughs) in the sense that no one's really paying attention to them, just picking up big scalps every weekend. But But, yeah, long may continue. It's fast. It's been a fantastic start to the season. Couldn't have hoped for anything better.
1: Super fascinating. And I mean, talking about teams that are flying under the radar a little bit, We Bremen, a fifth, just one point behind the Dortmund <laughs> Um There's been some fantastic storylines early on this year. And yeah, I think we've been really lucky. And I feel this could be one of those seasons that I had growing up in the Bundesliga, you know, where you had four or five teams at the very top being really tightly together. And there is a weakness there at Bayern Munich. There really is. Mm-hmm. Their, their biggest signing, Sadio Mane, I don't want to call him a flop, but this feels like there's a little bit of a Premier League tax happening here because he's just not able to replace the outgoing players. Um, mm. He's just you know, a bit too streaky, which, fair enough, he was at Liverpool as well, right? Mm. But... Um, you can say that same about some of the other guys. Matthias De Licht was picked up an in injury, right? Uh, Jamal Musiala tested positive for COVID today. Hope he's all right, but he's going to be out uh, possibly all this week and then not feature next week. And he's been their best player. So there is a chance Bayern lose again next week.
0: Yeah. And, uh, It'd be quite something, wouldn't it? It really would be incredible, and it's it, it's 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 just fantastic. I mean, this season was always going to be bonkers because the World Cup in the yeah. middle of the season and things, and you never know. But the, the interesting thing here is that if you actually were to look at the start of the season from a Bayern Munich point of view, you would actually be kind of hoping to kind of rack up as many points as you could before the World Cup because Bayern are going to be disprop- disproportionately affected by the World Cup more than any other team because every player in their team. Is an international, yeah. Whereas, and you could maybe argue the same for, more or less for Dortmund. Yeah. but <laughs> Union and Berlin and Freiburg—they do have a number of internationals, but not to the same anywhere near to the same extent as Bayern or Dortmund. So, we might actually find that this season, actually, even though they're ahead right now, they might actually pull away in the second half of the season because they've got much fresher squads. So, the the fun may only be getting
1: started. Yeah, and that uh, Union have the second best goal differential other than Bayern. Mm. Um, yeah, it's 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 hugely fascinating, and I think if you're in Union Berlin, you almost actually hope that uh, Greg Behalder remains blind and don't call up doesn't call up uh, Jordan um, because they probably want him rested when when it all reboots, right? Um, in in January, but it's it's hugely fascinating. We're very lucky with the storylines, the way they have panned out, and I I think if you are new to the league, you might have joined and following the league uh, at just the right time because it's been chaos. <laughs> <A> long <laughs> may it continue. <laughs> um, I think that wraps it much up for this week, Stefan. Unless we have anything else that you wanna um point out, discuss. I think we're pretty much set.
0: No. Thoroughly enjoying the fun and long may it continue.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um as always the show is brought to you by bet Online. The newsletter this week is Stefan said, Dortmund. Check it out. Mine will be on Freiburg. It will be out on Thursday in your mailbox. Um, been hugely impressed with the amount of feedback positive feedback we have been getting i think stefan you may do something on the game that you are visiting
0: yes i'll try and do a four thoughts uh, piece from the celtic leipzig game so subscribers will also be picking that up in their inbox hopefully this evening uh, if they're they're listening on tuesday
1: it's bonus material don't get used to it Um, (laughs) (laughs) we're only doing it from big matches and uh, games that we went to but We've we we've also recognized that you the reader really likes them, so um we'll we'll try do our best to give them to you as often as we can, and uh, yeah, I've been hugely impressed by the feedback. It's a nice community that has been created there, and so if you uh want to chat about the Bundesliga, um head over to the newsletter. It's in the link in the in the bio of this this podcast um, to click through, and it's on Twitter on our Twitter handles. So please check us out. And we'll be back later this week with our bonus podcast, probably after the Champions League games on Wednesday. And then, of course, with our prediction podcast at the end of the week. So until then, auf Wiedersehen.